Thank God. Thank God. Amen. Well, our scripture text comes from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. And I'll read it to you here. And the Bible says, And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. So we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Amen? You may be seated. But this is going to be our second uh, sermon in this little short series that we're going to conclude today that we simply entitled, uh, I Got a Wonderful Message. You know, I said in our last series where we talked about the opportunity, and I said the intent of that series was to inspire you to seize every opportunity that God gives you to share the gospel message with someone who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So I titled this series in a personal way by just simply saying, I got a wonderful message. And I want you to personally receive this truth, that is, that God has given you the wonderful message of reconciliation to share with those who don't know that God is no longer hostile toward them. See, the word reconcile or reconciliation means a change from enmity and that enmity means a state of feeling of being actively opposed to or hostile toward. So he, we change from a state of enmity to friendship, to restore to relationship, friendship or harmony. And so since God laid aside his enmity against us, then he has charged us to share this message of reconciliation with those who don't know that God is no longer mad at them. And we need to let people know that they can freely come back to God. Don't cost you nothing. We're going to see here when we get back to this text that it is a gift. Amen. And so last week we took a deeper look at the parable of the prodigal son and we saw that in the midst of the father's love and compassion we saw reconciliation and restoration. And we were encouraged to rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because Christ has made us friends instead of enemies. And we closed with Paul making it perfectly clear in Timothy that Jesus is the mediator who reconciled the difference between God and humanity. Amen? So today we're going to kind of build on that last thought. If you would go to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, in the early church, there was often religious tension to the point of even hostility because the Jews who came to Christ, they wanted to bring a lot of Judaism into this new religion. And because of that, they had attitudes toward Gentiles who didn't want to get circumcised. And that made for tension in the church. And so what Paul was trying to do here is to make it clear to both of those groups that when they come to Christ, he reconciled all the differences that they have with one another based on the law. There were certain things that was in the legal law that was still good, the ethical law. But there were a lot of things in the ceremonial law that need, no longer need to be done. And so as a result of that, not having that understanding, normally when the Gentiles who never knew about those laws came in, the Jews who were still trying to hold on to the old way would come in conflict with the Gentiles. And so what he was trying to get them to see is that there's no reason to have this hostility between the two groups. You know, if they could learn that over there now, we wouldn't be where we are in the world today. 
the hostility is there because they have not reconciled who they belong to. And, and that he came to make all people one. And so what we have to see here is that long before there was a battle over in the Middle East with, you know, what's going on now with Hamas and all those, these folks were fighting in the, in the church. So look at this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, he says, don't forget that you Gentiles. Somebody say Gentiles. Anytime the Bible talks about Gentiles, it's talking about you. Amen. Because if you weren't a Jew, you were considered a Gentile. He says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Somebody say outsiders. Outsiders. That means that you wasn't a part of something. Someone had excluded you from it for some reason. And because they felt like the Gentiles were not part of the original covenant, they felt like they were better than the Gentiles. And he says, now, you were called uncircumcised heathens. <laughs> it's one thing to call me uncircumcised, but to call me a heathen. You know, there are some people who may think they're better than you are, and they look at you, and they see a and if you don't know who you are and who you belong to, you will be defined by other folk. Amen. Now, they done called us some things much worse than. But I know who I belong to. <laughs> so look, he says now, we were called heathen by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision. Even though it affected only their bodies, and not their hearts. That's why Jesus came along later and said, if circumcision don't take place in your heart, you ain't going to change. You can cut the foreskin all you want, but you got to have a change in your... So they felt like by going through the ceremony that that made them better. There are people who go through marriage ceremonies, but it don't necessarily make them Don't make them better. There are some people who just went to the justice of the peace. But their relationship is better. The ceremony don't make you. Something on the inside of you got to make you. So that's what he's saying. They had this thing right on the outside, but in their hearts, they were still messed up. He said, now look. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. Talking about the Gentiles. He, he identified some things here that let them know that they were operating at a disadvantage. You know, as a people, and I wasn't supposed to say this, but since it's in my mind, for a long time, we lived at a disadvantage. The playing field was just not level. Everybody didn't start off on the same starting line. Even though the gun was fired at the same time, I was 40 yards behind. A disadvantage. And when you're operating from a disadvantage, you're going to have to have somebody to come along that can level the painting field. So, so look at this. He says, in those days, you were living apart from God. That's one disadvantage. You guys are living apart from Christ. You don't even know him. Then he says, you were excluded from citizenship, citizenship among the people of Israel. That's two. You ain't even a citizen. You know, I feel sorry for people who come to America and ain't citizens. Because you operating at a disadvantage. And now when you operate at a disadvantage... People will take advantage of you as long as it's to their He says, you were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. Number three, and you did not know the covenant promises that God had made to them. You don't even know what you're entitled to. You know, now some of y'all are citizens of this country, but you ain't got a clue what's in the Constitution. You ain't got a clue what's in your Bill of Rights. 
and you don't even know when your rights are being violated because you just don't. You got some promises that this country have promised you, but if you don't know what the promises are, you can live below your privileges in the country that you were born in. So he said, you did not know the covenant promises that God made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. You know, I don't know why I don't got on our people, but I remember back in the day when it did look like a lot of people just was hopeless. They never thought things were going to get. And there are a lot of people that I know that died in hope, looking for a better and now we are living in somewhat of a better day, and we are not passing that on to the next. We got to pass on that hope and that expectation that we have, not just in this world, but the hope of heaven, the hope of eternal life. You got to pass that on to the, to the next generation. But look here, the next two words he says, but now, but change things. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now, somebody shout, but now. But now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. So therefore, now that I know my position and where I am because of the blood, I don't live like I'm afar from God. I live like I got the same rights and privilege that everybody else got. And so therefore, it's a shame for us to come to church on Sunday and don't know who we are in the Lord, and we live below our privileges when the Bible says we have been brought near to him through the blood. He says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. Somebody say one people. When his own body was on the cross, he broke down the walls of hostility that separated us. Now, he did the work, but the people got to carry out the action. The work has been done, but the hostility is still. And if that hostility exists, it's not because he didn't do the work. It's because you didn't accept the work that has been. He said, so that, that shouldn't be no hostility between us. He tore down that wall that separated Jew and Gentile and formed something new. And in this newness, in this oneness, we're supposed to be better people because of him. Look at this. He did this by ending the system of laws with his commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. You know, that almost sounds like marriage. Amen. Because we say the two become. So that's what the church is supposed to look like. It's supposed to be a oneness. Just like a marriage ought to be a. And so therefore, if we don't live out that oneness, it's not going to just happen. We have to put differences aside and say we have been bought by the blood of Christ and therefore we're going to live in this oneness. Because we're supposed to love every, everybody. So, so look at this, verse 16. He says, together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by the means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to. You know what I've learned by that statement there is that even though it was put to death spiritually, if we don't live it out in the flesh, we will resurrect the dead. Pee Wee, the Bible say he put to death the hostility. So that means that we're supposed to be able to live in peace. But if we don't accept what he has done, then guess what? We will resurrect something that's already dead. Now look at this, verse 17. He brought this good news of peace. Somebody say good news. To you Gentiles, to us, who are far away from him, and peace to the Jews who are near. 
Now, all of us, somebody say all of us. All of us can, can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for In other words, you got access, I got access. Because we got access to God, that leveled the playing field. You don't need somebody else to get you access to God. That wall that separated us from God has been torn down. And so therefore now when you want to get to God, it's on you. If you go to church and you say you're a child of God and you can't talk to God and you can't find God, then I question, do you believe that the wall has been torn? It's all right to have some people to pray for you and, and, and fast with you and all that type of stuff. But guess what? At the end of the day, you got access to a holy God. You don't really need Pastor Bolden to get there. You don't need me to touch your forehead, put no oil on you or anything. You got access. Access means that you can get to him without me. I don't have to vouch for you to get in the presence of God. Jesus has already done the work. You need to take advantage of your access. You know, some of those of you in the military, you know what access can do for you. You know, when you got access to certain places, you get access to certain people. When I was in the military, I worked in the command post. And whenever something bad was going to happen, or even some good thing, Everybody came where I worked. All the decisions was made in there. I was eavesdropping in on all of them, everything. Who saying what? I knew it all. Because I had. It allowed me to hear things other folks couldn't hear. And then to be able to say, I know who said it. Because I had. See, when you get access to God, you hear things that other folks don't hear. He show you things that other folks don't. You better operate in the access that you got because you serve a God that wants you to know things before they happen, not for you to be surprised by everything that go on in this world. Take advantage of your... Colossians 1. Colossians 1, verse 19 through 23. Now look at this. As the Apostle Paul was explaining to the Colossian believers about the supremacy of Christ, how Christ was supreme over all things, he reinforced the role that Christ played when it comes to reconciling mankind back to himself. And he encouraged them, now that they have been reconciled, to continue to believe in the truth of the gospel and to stand firmly in it and don't drift away from it. You know, I'll get there in a minute, but y'all hold on that thought, drift away. See, in verse 19 he says, for God in all his fullness, somebody say fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. So that let us know that Jesus was God in the flesh. And what we know about God, we learn from Jesus. And if we want to know how God operates, we need to study Jesus because he was acting out for us to be able to see how God really operates. So God put all of himself in. So that's why Jesus was divine and he was human. Amen. So he said, now it was pleased him to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the so there's no reason for us to be upset with God and for God to be upset with us because Jesus already made peace. He said with everything in heaven and on. Ain't, no angel ain't got ups, reason to be upset because he got and I, I, I ride around now and I see everybody got peace on their churches now. Pray for the peace of Israel. Man, you better pray for the peace of them Palestinians too. Now, I, I'm holding up Israel in high esteem. I understand their role in the Bible. But look here. If the other guy ain't going to get no peace, ain't going to be no. Amen. And so therefore, when, 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 when things like that happen, then he said, now look, we got to realize that God wants us to operate in this relationship of peace. And he sent Christ to make sure that we can have peace. 
peace with each other, peace with him. We don't have to argue, fuss, and fight with God anymore. And look here, by nature, we don't want to do what God commands us to do. By nature. Our nature war against God. And so therefore now when Jesus comes and cleanses us and we accept him, we got to put our nature in check. Amen. Because if not, you will be in the body, but you'll still be warring with, with God. God won't be fighting with you, but you'll be fighting with because you'll read something in this book and your nature will say, I don't like that. Now you're trying to pick a fight with somebody who done made that gave his son for you. He don't want to fight you anymore. So I submit to you that most of the time when the fighting takes place, it's us fighting against God instead of God fighting against He got better things to do than to just pick a fight. Now look at this. He says in verse 21, this includes you, that you that's talking about Gentiles, who were once far away from God. That far away is the same word as strange. You know, sometimes you hear couples who are married and they say, we're estranged. That's just a big way of saying they ain't living together no more. They're hostile. They're hostile to one another. Amen. It's strange. They're still married, but they're just hostile. No peace. Let me move on. I'm just trying to make it make some sense to everybody. So therefore, look here. We're still married to God because he said he married to the backslider. But we just acted in a hostile way. And it's up to us to come to our senses and come back to him. Because he never left us. We left him. He says now, this includes you who are once far away from God. You are his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Separated. That's another term for marriage, ain't it? We separated. Amen. Y'all ain't got to get quiet right now. I'm just, talking, I'm just trying to make, make some sense. So therefore, when we come into a relationship with God, it's a, it's, a, it's a vows that we take. And so therefore, we come into this relationship with Christ and God. It's a marriage relationship. So therefore, when we break the covenant, then we separate ourselves from him. He said, we were separated by your evil thoughts. You know, right now, ain't no doubt in my mind, and since last Sunday, some of y'all done had an evil thought. Amen. Amen. If you had an evil thought, just raise your hand. Come on. I got mine up, so you can see. Evil Evil thoughts don't care that you say. They don't even care that you heard this message last Sunday. <laughs> evil thoughts going to do what evil thoughts do. Because your old nature is familiar with evil. And so the sin is not the evil thoughts, because they're going to come. The sin, if you don't take the thought captive and deal with it, because of that thought will come to your action. So therefore, the thoughts going to keep coming. The thoughts don't care that you love Jesus. They don't care that you're sitting here on a Sunday morning listening to Pastor Bowden. The thoughts that's going to come when you leave here do not care. But if you know that they're coming, all you got to do is by your own power of the Holy Spirit, take the thought captive. Don't let it nest in your head and in your mind till you start acting on the he said, we were separated by our evil thoughts. The actions came after. I know I, I should have got an amen from everybody right there. You ain't agreeing with me. The Bible said that. Didn't it say that, Joe? Marvin, didn't it just say that, Marvin? So, you know, in the old church, when you, when you agreed the Bible, you just say, Amen. Now today we won't say amen. Just nod your head this way. Because this way means, okay, I'm agreeing with you, God. I'm looking close now because I am. <laughs> you look at, don't look around right now because I'm thinking you're going to disagree with this evil thought thing. Okay. 
So, so right now, if any of y'all got an evil thought, we're going to take it captive, right? Because we don't want you to mess up the rest of this service with your... Because, you know, the devil don't care that you're sitting up in here. By evil thoughts and actions. Now look here. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own access. Because of Jesus, you've been brought into his own presence in the spirit. And look at this. When you get that, this is how he see you. You may not see you like he see you, but this I said, he had brought you in his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. In other words, man, look, man, you standing there like you know you are not guilty of anything everybody's been talking about you. Because he said, because of Jesus, I have got access to a holy God, and look here, he look at me as being blameless and without a single Because of what Jesus did, he covered up all my faults. God don't see them. He, ex- he expunged my record. So all the stuff that I did that I even got in my mind, God said, hey, it ain't even there no more. So if you want to see yourself like you did before, you continue to live that way. But if you want to see yourself like you can stand in the presence of a holy God, you need to start acting like it. Act like the way that God see you. Stop living like people see you. People going to always see your faults. They going to always remember what you've done. You got to get beyond folk and see yourself like God. Man, if we had time to just testify here, man, we'll find out just how long our rap sheets were. You know, we come to church on Sunday, we try to put it all on the right face, all that. Look here, some of us had long rap sheets. Man, you had several cops working on your case. Your case was so strong. And so in spite of all that, you got to look at yourself now and say, man, I'm standing in the presence of God and I am the God Almighty, blameless. All that stuff I did, blameless. All because of who granted me. He said without a singer. I'm glad God said that because I know some folk will look at you Brother Wilson, the nicest guy you are, they'll find a fault. They'll find something. Even Pastor Bolton look at you, man. That Wilson, yeah, yeah. Because we don't look at each other through the same lens that God look at us through. We look through our natural eyes and we see things that God don't even look at no more. And I tell people all the time, if you look at a person long enough and study them, you will find something But I tell you, and I, I, and I encourage you, accentuate the positive that you see in people so that you can try to see them like God see them. He said, now look, but you must continue. Somebody say continue. Now, you're standing before God. Jesus make you blameless. But you got to continue this thing. It ain't no like, okay, I'm good for one day, and then all of a sudden, not. no. 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 He says, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Then he says, don't drift away. Man, that word drift away just stopped me right there because I started thinking about people in relationships. Most of the time, relationships just don't break. That's some drifting. You know, where you lose personal contact. Drifting. Let me look around the room. You know you're married. There's supposed to be some contact. When there's no contact, there's drift. When you're a child of God, there's supposed to be some contact. And when you don't have contact with him, you're going to because you're going to connect with something. Somebody. It's just built in us to connect. And so what you got to understand that when you find yourself drifting, drifting don't just happen. It's normally a gradual thing. You know, kind of like a boat that's drifting out, you know, a little boat. 
you just sitting there watching for a little while. Next thing you know, you're out in the middle of the lake. Yeah, man, I didn't even know we was moving. Now you drifted. I thought we were still okay. Well, you, you forgot this. Now you drifted. You know, the night is supposed to be the night, but, but nope, nope, nope. Drifter. Your birthday was when? Drifter. You better start watching your children when they start to drifting from you. Amen. When they had that contact with you and they was always around you, talking to you, sharing things with you, and all of a sudden now they locked up in their room, no one to talk to you no Drifting. Because they are listening to somebody or something, and if you're not paying attention, you'll be estranged from your children in your own house because you... He says you can't drift away from the assurance you receive. You can't let your children drift away from the lessons you taught them. Amen. That's all he's trying to say. You, you received this assurance when you heard the good news. So what you heard, you received, therefore you can't drift away from it. He says the good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Just like Paul, we all, our text is going to see today here, we're all ambassadors. Amen. And we have been appointed to carry out the assignment that God has given us. So let's go back to our text real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Prior to this text, Paul was letting the Corinthians know how hard he worked to persuade others to accept Christ. I mean, Paul took his assignment from God seriously. And, and, and he wanted the people to know that he did whatever he could to persuade people to accept Christ. He wanted them to know that they have been reconciled back to God. And he firmly believed that if Christ died for our sins, and when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, Paul believed we were supposed to become a new creation. He, he believed that there was something new that was supposed to take place in us, and old things are going to pass away, and behold, all things become, become new. Now, we understand because of that old nature, it just don't pass away. You got to put it away. And if you don't put the old nature away, it'll try to live with the new nature, and guess what? There's going to always be conflict when you try to mix the old with the new. And so he was letting them know that, hey, guys, you got to see yourself like God see you, and you got to see yourself as this new creation. And now that you see that creation, that new creation as a gift from God, then now it's up to you to share the gift that God has blessed you with. So look at this. That's why he said this. In verse 18, he says, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Now look at this. He says that God has given us a... Let me start with the gift first. I'm going to get to the task. Given us a gift. You know, one thing I've learned about a gift, you can gift something to someone, but they got to receive it and then use it. They got to accept what you give them, and then they got to use it. In other words, you can, you can give me a car, and I can have that car and receive it, but if I never drive it, I might as well not have the gift. So just because you give a person a gift that you hold near and dear, you spend a lot of money on it, but they never put it on. They never wear it. They received it, but they never bought into the fact that they got to use the gift for its intended purpose. And so what I tell people all the time is you can give a gift to someone, but just because they take it don't mean they're going to appreciate what you put into it before you gave it. She may not appreciate the labor and the time that you spent picking out that thing. I mean, you spent days trying to figure out which one is it going to be. This is going to be a special gift. But you never see her put it 
Now your mind going to have to take captive that thought. I spent three hours out there in the store, Major. I spent three hours out there looking and looking and looking, and I thought I had the one. And it's a year later. I ain't seen it yet. She received it, but she didn't use the gift. And so it's no different. You may have received this gift to reconcile people back to God, but you got to use it. Because if you don't use it, it is of no use. You minimize the price that was paid for you to have this gift. In the natural, that would be like, man, you done went and brought your wife this three and a half carat. I mean, it's sparkling all over the house. People can see it from the moon. And you pay, you know, several grand for it. You had stacks. You had to go get stacks you didn't have to pay for it. And now it's just over there in the box with the zirconium and all the rest of them, cubic zirconium and all that. In your mind, you're going to think, she don't think much of the gift. She don't realize how much I paid for that. I, I went without some stuff. I wanted some new rims for the car, but they're in that ring. And now the ring is over there in the box with cubic zirconium or whatever that fake stuff is called. I don't have an appreciation, and I think a lot of Christians don't have an appreciation of the price that God paid for you. And because you don't have an appreciation for it, you undervalue the gift. God paid for you to be able to reconcile others back to himself. And he paid with Jesus. So therefore, when we don't do that, it's like taking that gift and putting it off over to the side and doing nothing. He made sure that we understood that he didn't give us this gift just to look at. He said, look, and he gave us a task along with the gift. Joe, you're a supervisor. You're on a company. You got folk to work for you. Every now and then you gift them and you give them something, but at the same time, you may give them a, a task. Now, they don't took the bonus, but you come back and the, the task ain't done. You have to take captive your thoughts because you don't want your action to line up. That rascal took the gift and all he had to do was move one pile of dirt. And the dirt is still, he don't value the gift I gave him. And so I'm trying to tell you, sometimes you got to always know the value that God paid for you so you don't undervalue yourself and you don't undervalue others. Because the same price he paid for you, he paid for everybody. And then now he's giving you the task to go out there and tell everybody, hey, God is not mad at you anymore. You can get this thing right between you and God. So now look at this. He says, and God has given us this task. That's an assignment of reconciling people to him. Look at this, verse 19. For God was in Christ reconciling the world. Somebody say the world. Not just the Jews, but the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins. That word sins got an S on it. So that means when we came to God, there was a good possibility we had more than one. Amen. I mean, if we were to ask each other some question about it, we probably got so many we can't even count them on two hands. You know, just sins. 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 You know, that, that goes back to your, your jacket, Marvin. You know, down at the police station. You know, some jacket's this thin, some jacket that thick. Full of stuff. But it don't make no difference what size your jacket is. The same blood took care of all of us. So that means when this go away, all this. And when I understand God put all of this stuff that was in my jacket to a side and threw it away, that's supposed to make me go find some other folk that got jackets that thick and say, look here, you can beat this charges. You can beat this rap right here. 
I got, I got somebody that can help you beat this. Charlie, you know what I'm talking about. When you got to stand in front of the judge, man, you need to get you a lawyer that's going to help you beat this. Because there are some lawyers out there that are better than other lawyers. And they know how to work the judge. And you can, you can beat this case right here. This one, we're going to win right here because I got something that the judge is going to accept because, you know, he understands the price that's been paid for you, Charlie. So therefore, no matter what how thick your jacket is, when he see the blood, all that just... So what I'm trying to tell you, you need to let people know that when they accept Christ, all the mess goes away. And they can stand before God blameless. They got to get that in their head first. You got to drill that in their head to, hey, you don't have to live like you used to live. You're a new creation in the Lord. That's what we got to do. And this is what he said. For when God was reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him, he gave us this wonderful message of what? That's supposed to be a wonderful message that we're supposed to be caring to others. He gave us the wonderful message. He didn't give it to angels. He gave it to, that's your ministry. You got the ministry of reconciliation. And I told you last week, you don't need to go to Emory or no college. You don't need to go, you know, to, to Dallas Theological Seminary to get this gift. You already got it. You just need to start operating what God has already gave you. You got a ministry, and you don't even need an ordination paper to get it. You just need to know who you're working for. If you know who you're working for, you got the authority to share this ministry with others who don't know who Jesus is because you need to just tell them, God is not mad at you. And it's a wonderful message. The message got to be delivered in a way that people think that they're receiving a wonderful Charlie, it's a wonderful message when the judge said, all of that now is going to be expunged. You standing down there, you know, on needles and pen, won't know what the jurors said, but the judge said, look, I, I know they had, man, they had charges all the way from when you was a baby. Man, was, but guess what? All that's been ex. You know, when, you, I don't want to be, but, but if you ever just looked at somebody who done got set free of something they know they did, in the courtroom, you see folks just dancing, man. They, I, I, I remember OJ, man. When, when, when the thing came back, I looked at OJ. OJ was there. Man, OJ, all that time he been looking all But when they, oh, OJ snapped up. So, some of y'all too young to even know what I'm talking about. But what I'm trying to say, when you understand what freedom is, it just changed your whole mindset. When you know that I'm free from all the baggage, all the stuff, all the things that people held against me, I am free from it. Why? Because God reconciled the difference, and now I got to go and tell somebody. I'm through. Look here. So this is a wonderful message, and you can't convince anybody if you don't think the message is wonderful. You can't deliver a wonderful message like it ain't wonderful to you. Amen. He said, now look, because, and when I looked at this, these are legal terms that they use in this thing. You know, because he said, now look, you know, reconciliation is a legal matter. When you go to court, people have odds with each other, and they have to be reconciled. Amen. Problems in a marriage is a problem. They got to be got to be reconciled. You got to figure out what we're going to do to solve this problem, and we got to come back into peace with one another. So he said, now look, he gave us this wonderful message, but now look at this. So we are Christ am an ambassador to go to another country and represent the country that he's from. He don't go there to be like that country. He go there to be like his country. So therefore, if I'm an ambassador to Saudi Arabia, even though they don't eat everything we eat and they got all kinds of laws over there, when I go to my embassy compound, I'm in the middle of a foreign country, but everything that we do in America, I can do in that embassy. And I don't care what the laws of that country is, I'm going to go by the laws of my country because I am representing my country in a foreign country. When you are representing God here on earth, you're in a foreign country and you are representing your master who's up in heaven so therefore you got to live like he wants you to live in this foreign that's what a good ambassador does he lives like the country that he represents 
he don't go there and try to be a Saudi Arabian or an Egyptian or an Israelite or an Israeli. He don't, he want to always, I am an American. This is how we do it in America. And in this compound, it got an American flag at the top of the building. So that means we play by the rules that we play by at home. You got to understand the rules that you play by. The rules that you play by don't come from here on earth. They come down from heaven. And so therefore, that's why he said we got to be a good ambassador. He says, you are Christ's ambassador, ambassador. God is making his appeal. That's when I would say, you know, Herb, God is not going to send Michael or another angel down here to plead this case. He done tapped you on your shoulder and said, Brother Herb, you got this case. Now you need to go over there and study and do whatever you need to do so that when you get up in court, you know how to appeal to the people that you plead to. And, and Brother Herb, if it means you got to get a serious look on your face and you got to look at them and let them know that you're really into what you're doing, you got to urge some of them. You know, you, you know, like working a jury, you don't just go and plead your case before a jury and look at the judge. You look at the, and you read every face over there as you talk and say, oh, that hit a nerve right there. They like that. I got to stay right there on that street for a little while longer because I saw them squirming in their seat just a little bit. That thing hit a if I stay there a little while longer, they may make a decision that's going to go along with the case that I am pursuing. See, when you start pleading the case for God, you got to start reading the people that you're pleading to. And if you read their look and read their body language, guarantee you, it'll tell you how to present your... It'll tell you when you need to slow down a little bit. They got a bewildered look on their face. They ain't got a clue what you're saying. Slow it down and make it plain. Till they start nodding their head, yeah, I see that. I can see what you're trying to say. And that's what he's telling us. Hey, look, some people you got to plead with, they're not going to believe this message of reconciliation right off the top of their head. You got to plead the case. Nobody want a lawyer in the courtroom that can't plead the There's a certain amount of showmanship that go along with pleading the case. You got to be convincing when you plead your case. You got to act like you believe your case. And you know that got to be tough sometimes when a lawyer know the guy I'm, oh Lord, the guy I'm defending is guilty, is all I do. I know it, but I got to defend him. I got to plead the case. God knew you was guilty, is all I do. But he still let Jesus plead the case. On the cross, he pleaded the and when he pleaded the case on the cross for you and me, he won the case. So therefore, he won that case for us. Now we got to go out and plead the case so that we can win others to the. So God is making his appeal through us. Look here. We speak for who? Christ. You ain't speaking on your account. You're speaking on his account. He says we speak for Christ when we plead. That word plead, you know, can I just make it real sometimes? You know, husband, you know, made a mistake, messed up. There's a way to say I'm sorry. And there's a way to really plead. Plead your case. You know, when you plead your case, you may have to get down on your knees. There's some tears come out your eyes. Look, baby. 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 I will. Baby, look at here. I, I really didn't mean to, baby. I'm so sorry. If you want me to, baby, I'll just kiss your feet right now. Baby, I was wrong. I realized, baby, I was wrong. But right now, I need to plead my case. Let me just plead my case. I, I'm really, really. Now, you got to be willing to go to that extent to get somebody to believe Jesus. You're going to have to plead the case so that once you finish, somebody will say, I want some of that too. I want to be reconciled back to him. I want to accept him as my... Look, on your knees you'll say, baby, come back to me. <laughs> but in the Bible you say, come back to... <laughs> I don't know why I said that, but it just is okay. That's okay. <laughs> baby, come back to... That sounds like a song, don't it? 
somebody was pleased in that song. And so we got to do the same level of pleasing. He says, come back to God with an exclamation point. That means you got to say it with some emphasis, some force. You know, I wasn't smart in English, but I do remember them exclamation points. They told me whenever someone put an exclamation, exclamation point behind something, that means serious. I get texts from some of y'all, three or four exclamation points, bang, 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 bang. Let me know, okay. They loud. They, they, they saying that loud. They talking real loud. I got to read that with emphasis. That, 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 that is supposed to get my... Uh, When you tell people to come back to God, you got to get their attention. You got to say it in a way that you got their. Uh... And this is the last verse now reading you here for the first time. He says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, wow, to be this offering for our sin. In other words, in order for Christ to take on our, in, in order to, for Christ to reconcile us, he had to take on sin. He had to put sin on. The perfect son of God had to put sin on. Your sin. My sin. Once he put sin on, the only way that sin could be forgiven back then was by the shedding. He never sinned. But he made him to be an offering for our sin. So that we may be made right, that right there is another legal term, with God through Christ. In other words, now, Brother Wilson, all the wrong I've done because of Jesus, I've been made right with God. As long as I'm right with God, I got access to God. As long as I'm right with God, I don't care what other folks think because that don't matter. They don't have a heaven or hell to put me in. I just need to be right with God is the one that I want to make sure. And Jesus has already set the foundation. All I've got to do is accept what he has done for me. Walk around like, hey, I am right with God. So guess what? I want you to get right with God. And all you've got to do is come back. That's a simple message. Come back to God. Because everybody who's walking in a different direction from God need to be encouraged to come back. To God. And they need to be told, forget about all the stuff. Don't think about all the bad you've done because that's going to keep you from turning around. You got to know that, hey, he already done paid the price for you. You are valuable to him. He don't have no reason not to receive you back to him. So unlike that three carat that's sitting over in the corner, God ain't going to treat you like that. Because he knows that you are valuable to him. He's going to appreciate you, love you, and want the best for you. That's a wonderful message of reconciliation. Come back to God, amen? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise, if you will. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.